Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I'll mention again that today is the first day of the Lenten season, and depending on if if you didn't grow up in church or maybe you grew up in a tradition that didn't necessarily talk about Lent, it's a very, very important time in which not only as individuals, but collectively we center ourselves around what it means to be followers of Jesus, what it means to understand ourselves as sinners, but also a time of preparation for uh, Friday and Saturday and then Easter Sunday. So we are in that season now, and it's an exciting season. I remember how weird it was last year. Not that it doesn't have the possibility of being equally strange this year, but last year when people talked about, will we be able to have Easter services? What's that going to look like? It was, it was a, such, a, such a weird time, even, even stranger than it is now. But I'm very, very excited about today. Also, the things that we are going to be talking about in the next six weeks. So I'd like to show you a picture of someone If you'll look up on the screen, this is Peggy Prater. This is my division assistant at the college. Our relationship has lasted, has gone on for almost 12 years. She's a great person. She does her job very well. She actually also attended Destination Community Church, the church I was at in Kentucky. And the truth is that she makes me look really, really good. All right? There have been times that I have given her letters of recommendation that needed to be sent out, and she's put letterheads on them and made everything look really nice. She takes care of my grammatical mistakes. Every time I have an error in my syllabus, whenever I need to send it out, she always makes sure that she fixes that. She makes everything look very professional. She often has to take care of paper jams in the printer because I'm an idiot. And at least once a month, I mess it up, and and she probably has some things that she'd like to say to me, but nonetheless, she makes sure that everything is taken care of. She made sure that my promotion notebooks looked perfect. I don't know that I would have received going up in the rank as a professor if it had not been for her and how good that she made everything look. She always keeps me up to date. One time I spilled coffee in my office, and when I say spilled coffee, I mean entire cup And we were going through this policy at the college at the time where they were trying to do away with paper towels. Beth will remember this. They were trying to do away with paper towels because they wanted everybody to use the the, the dryers. They were trying to be more environmentally friendly. Well, turns out I had nothing to clean up. First thing you do is go to the bathroom. There's no paper towels. And it's just one of those messes that you're just watching. And she's laughing if if she's watching this right now online. But she made sure that the mess was completely cleaned up. So it could be said that I don't look very good (laughs) on my own, but because of Peggy, I look really, really good. I would not know how to adequately define or explain 
the grace of God. It's an incredibly complex concept infused with, with layers of meaning beyond our comprehension. All right, so I'm supposed to be telling you what grace is when I don't even know that I could ever define it myself. All right? But I could start by saying that I look horrible before God because I am a sinner. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus and my trust and dependence upon him, I look perfect. And this is because of his work, not mine. At the college, if people think that my work looks good, it's often because of Peggy. When God sees me, he doesn't see my work. Instead, he sees the work of Jesus. Today, we're in a six-week series. We're beginning this six-week discussion titled Rhythm, the true story of God's grace. In a world full of difficult moments and troubling times, and one of the things that I was reading about just the other day are some of the some of the fallout items along with this coronavirus, so not just talking today about sickness and death and a lot of the things that are happening, but uh, childhood mental illness that is growing as a result of social isolation and a lot of the things that are going on currently that we are going to see manifest and build over the next few generations. In a world of obviously a, a politically divisive world, the next six weeks, if you're here and you're inviting people to join you here, they are going to hear the best news they've ever heard in their life. And I can promise you that. And that's not just because of the saving grace that we're going to talk about today, but it's also because of the overwhelming guilt that some of you live with. And you're just not sure why. It's because some of you in here right now have a very very difficult time with your past because your marriage didn't work out because you know that you made the mistake. It was your responsibility and your reason. It, you were the reason that you lost your job. You're looking back now in your 30s, 40s, and 50s, and only now you can recognize you never spent enough time with your children. It's the things that you keep trying to get over, the, the, the addiction or the struggle that you, you find yourself in a situation of relapse and you just continue to suffer over and over again. The grace of God touches every single one of those moments. And it is the reason and the primary reason that people like myself get out of bed every single day. So those are some of the things, some of the topics, some of the things that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Today we are going to do our best to introduce this life-changing thing called grace and we're going to do so by breaking down three verses uh, from the most theologically complete letter in the New Testament. And this is Paul's letter to the Romans. So if you want to turn to Romans chapter 3, you can. If you want to follow along on the screen or your phone, you're, you're more than welcome to do that as well. But we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 22 through 24. And this is the way that we are going to introduce grace because I don't believe that we can go any further in a discussion about grace until we lay down what I'm calling building blocks, all right? In fact, that's what this message is titled today, 
building blocks, a firm understanding as much as we can about this mysterious concept about what grace is. All right, so we'll start in verse 22. God's righteousness, all right, or God's goodness, God's control, God's overwhelming sacred justice and power comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who have faith in him. There's no distinction, all right? There's no distinction, and he's primarily here talking about the difference between Jews and Gentiles. There is no distinction, it's all. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory, all right? I want you, if you do happen to have a pen, if you are, if you are in a, a physical copy of the Bible, to underline that part that says falls short, all right? Because it's going to be very important here in just a little while. Falls short of God's glory. But all are treated as righteous or on the same level freely by his grace because of a ransom that was paid by Christ Jesus. I want to read that one more time. God's righteousness comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all, there's an action on our part, who have faith in him. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory, but all are treated as righteous freely by his grace because of a ransom that was paid by Christ Jesus. All right, here we see Paul explaining to the Romans that the law or our deeds, the things that we may have the ability to do, and this is so relevant today, that the things that we are able to do cannot save us, but there is a way for us to appear righteous or God-like on that level of Jesus before God. There is a way for that to happen. It's available through faith in Christ for all who make the decision to believe. So I want us to consider three basic building blocks that are necessary for an initial conversation about grace. If you're going to understand, if we're going to be able to go forward, if you're going to have a basic understanding, and listen, this is not just for people who are watching online right now that don't go to church or did not grow up in church. This is for some of you that have called yourselves Christians for many, many years. Now, I know that what I'm about to say you've seen on paper, all right, you've heard it before, but I want us to really focus in and think about this today. Okay, the first is this, sin is our problem. Faith is the solution, specifically faith in Jesus Christ. Grace is the agent that makes this possible. If you were to ask me about the most basic Christian theology, uh, theology, the most basic thing that we could understand and take with us, all right, and, and really can't go any further, like how much we want to do Christian acts of service, like help other people, how we want to start being part of this or being part of that, there is a starting place. And this is the starting place right here. Sin is our problem. Faith is the solution. And grace is the agent that makes this possible. Now, you're telling yourself right now, many of you in here, well, I already know this. I've been told this before. I've experienced this 
before. But what this does for me, what we see here, is it actually brings about three real problems. All right, so these building blocks actually bring about three real problems, and this affects our understanding of grace. And these are the three problems that we have. There is an ignorance about sin. All right, so we say that sin is our problem, but there is actually this existing ignorance about what sin actually is. All right, we say that faith in Christ is the solution, but if you ask me, we have a great misunderstanding about what faith actually is. And if we say grace is what makes all of these wonderful things possible, I'm going to suggest that what we see within the church and outside of the church is this great abuse of grace. All right, so we have to start here. We have to deconstruct what we've been taught, what we believe. We have to remove all of the, confu uh, the confusion, and we're going to walk through this today. All right? So the first thing that we want to look, look at is this ignorance about sin. Okay? If you ever use the phrase, I'm not as bad as him, or I'm not as bad as her, or I really try to be a good person. Like I really do. Like if I look at the things in my life, I know that I'm really trying uh, to do what is right. Or I try to be good to others. If you use these kinds of expressions as a way to God, you suffer from ignorance about sin. You don't have an understanding of sin. All right, verse 23 all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Again, there is a reason I asked you to, uh, to underline that part in your Bible, fall short, come short, whatever it says in your translation of the glory of God, meaning that you don't add up on your own. There are people in this world, in this room right now, and in this world, that are like really, really good people. And there are people in this world that are bad people. There are people in this world that are horrible people. But that has, there's no distinction as far as who does really good and who does really bad regarding the fact that we are all, in fact, sinners. It's a reality that we are born into. So what people often try to do is they try conveniently, sort of like when I'm putting things together, they try to skip a step to get to God. And what ends up happening, so they, they skip this sin thing. Okay, I'm okay on my own. I know I mess up sometimes. I know I make mistakes, but I'm a pretty good person. I'm all right. I think I'm in pretty good with God. They skip this acknowledgement of complete and utter brokenness and a complete incapability apart from God, they skip that step and then they do the most dangerous thing in the world. They create their own God. And that's where so many people are today. They never acknowledge, they never come what us, al to al what us alcoholics call a moment of clarity. They never come to this place where they're like, 
I am completely incapable apart from God. And I can tell you from experience that I am completely incapable of being a good or even decent husband apart from God. Some of you genetic, it's in you. It's not in me. It's going to be completely honest with you. It is not in me to treat other people with the dignity and the respect that they often deserve. You get to a point where you recognize that you've depleted all of your resources. There's just nothing left. You can't do it. And when you try and fail, you, you just feel miserable over and over again. But there are people who are not ready yet that have not gotten to that place of brokenness and they believe they are okay on their own. There is something that addicts do that is very useful for understanding. It's in the big book. The big book, not the Bible, the big book of AA. If they are going to get better, they must admit that their life is powerless and has become unmanageable. That's word for word the way that it's written. That their li- that they're, they, their life, they are powerless on their own and that their lives have become unmanageable. The writer and the philosopher, Albert Camus, who, who wrote The Plague, The Stranger, uh, The Fall, he's, he's, he's written a lot of stuff. He was not a Christian. He didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in, in heaven or hell. But one time he talked about what he believed that hell would look like if hell was real. And that was, what if you took your most humiliating sins, the things that you were the most ashamed of, the things that you didn't want anybody else to know, the things that you looked at on the internet whenever no one else was around, the worst, most crippling things that you said to your spouse that you would die if anybody else ever knew. The thoughts that you have, the things that you do, and then you're forced to like put those on a poster board and walk around with those over your head. So I want you to think about who you are at your core and what you're actually capable of. Can you hold a nine to five? More than likely, but that doesn't heal the brokenness within you. Can you be a decent parent? Can you manage your money? Can you get by? Can you possibly be even extremely successful? Yeah. But that doesn't heal the brokenness within you. Because we have to be willing to confront this thing called uh, sin. There is also something else that we need to understand is that sometimes even when we acknowledge our sin, we have this misunderstanding of faith. We really don't understand what faith is and what faith is supposed to look like. Verse 22 says, God's righteousness comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who have faith, pistis in Greek, it's an action, have faith in him. We read this and we believe that we're okay. We say, okay, I have faith. I am a faithful person. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in all that good stuff. But we often have a misunderstanding of what faith actually means. Looking closely at the meaning, just gave you the word, in Greek and what this means, faith in him, 
as our passage tells us, a better understanding than saying to have faith in him, if you take it from the literal Greek translation is this, to make a vow to a faithful relationship. Okay, so I think we can let ourselves a little bit off the hook if we simply say we have faith in God. We have faith in Jesus. Because what's really going on in here, on here, just like a marriage, you could look at it like a marriage, is we are making a vow. We are making a commitment for the rest of our lives. And you see, part of this is understanding what it looks like and what it feels like to experience true brokenness apart from God. And this is what I'm saying. We often have people uh, that, that grew up in church, that are no longer in church, that maybe go to church on occasion, that, that maybe have never experienced much time in church at all. And what they'll say is, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize that I have problems. I recognize that I'm not perfect. They say a little prayer and that's it. All right? And then they're going to, as we will see here in just a second, learn what it means in their life to abuse grace. But I'm going to tell you something. This may have not been the case if you were five or six years old whenever you accepted Christ because your memory is not great and you didn't have a chance to do a whole bunch of bad things or, or the cognitive ability at that time to recognize some of the things that you were doing. But if you accepted Christ whenever you were a little bit older, if you rededicated your life when you were a little bit older, if you have truly ever been in a pit of brokenness, if you have truly ever been in a place where you have used and depleted every single bit of your natural resources, you've had a desire to be good. You've had a desire to do good things for others, but you know because of your childhood and how bad it was, or because of how bad that person hurt you, or because of the genetic impulses that you just happen to have toward bad things that you cannot fix yourself. You can't, and there's no possible way that you'll ever be able to fix yourself. And when you feel that reality, whenever you feel that bottom and you look up and say, there is someone willing to forgive me. I can be different. I can start over. I don't have to go back to what that was. That can be finished. And I can be completely new. It is active faith that moves you. It's not, well, sure God exists. Well, sure, I go to Believer's Church. Well, when I can, I try to open the Bible. Well, I try to do good for other people. It is a vow to a committed relationship because you understand the bride of Christ has given you everything. A completely new life, and this is all because of grace. I would say that 75% of many churches or more have never experienced the grace of God have never experienced what it truly feels like to be broken, that when everything feels like it's not okay, it's still okay because God is good. And because that love continues to flow, it continues to pour in when you are awful. And achievers and people who want to accomplish things like myself, we think we just gotta try to do more and do more and do more and God will love us more and it doesn't work that way. It just pours out in your darkest and weakest moments. Whenever you're so disgusted with yourself, when you know that you just can't go any further on your own, somehow his mercies are new every day. 
It's hard to accept if you have a broken story. It's hard to accept if you had parents that constantly told you how worthless you were. It's hard to accept if you were abandoned. It's hard to accept if you've experienced horrible relationships with men or horrible relationships with women. It's hard to understand if you feel like people are always trying to take advantage of you. It's hard to live into that love, but whenever you learn to do it, everything changes. It's an active faith. It's participating. It's surrender. It's sacrifice. It's giving more and more of yourself every day, understanding that you're experiencing more and more and more of him every single day. We abuse and neglect the importance of grace because we have such a superficial understanding of biblical faith. We really just don't understand what it's supposed to look like and what it actually requires of us. So we also see as a result of these two things, our our ignorance about sin and our inability to really understand, our misunderstanding of faith, we also see the abuse of this thing that we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about, this abuse of grace. I have to tell you today that if you can learn if you can really learn to live within God's grace, and it is a practice, if you're always on your phone, if you're always busy, if you're always talking to other people, you're not going to be able to achieve this. This is why spiritual formation is one of our core values. It's why learning these disciplines are so important because getting away from, with God alone and understanding that regardless of how good you are or how bad you are, that his love is still the same is something that you can live within. And I lose it sometimes I lose it for a little while, and then all of a sudden, I'm depending on myself and on my achievement, my effort, and Beth hears me beat myself up because I'm just, I, I just struggle with that. I know some of you probably do as well, but the abuse of this grace is what we want to look at now, and this is what verse 24 says, but all are treated as righteous freely by his grace. Do you know what that means? That means that whenever God sees you, when you've in active faith accepted this active grace, when God sees you, he doesn't see the mess. He sees the ransom. He sees the blood. He sees the sacrifice of Jesus. He sees the goodness that you could never possess on your own. And if that's not good news as, a, as, a, as an addict, as a, as a four-time uh, divorcee, as someone who has went through job after job after job, as someone who has maybe done some time, as someone who has really struggled, as someone that sees himself as, an, as a failure to know that when God sees you, he sees the son. That's what grace is. Verse 24, but all who are treated as righteous freely by his grace. Why? But why are they treated uh, freely by his grace? Because of a ransom that was paid by Jesus Christ. And this is what I mean by an abuse of grace. All right, and, and most of us have been there before. We feel that God is so good and his love is so wonderful and so powerful and we're going to heaven anyway whenever we die, that we must be able to just do the things that we want to do. That we must just be able to live the way that we want to live. This is a complete ignorance about sin, and this is a complete misunderstanding about faith, and this is a deep, deep abuse 
of grace. So let me be very clear. Those who have experienced the grace of God on the fullest possible level, they don't abuse it. At least they don't habitually abuse it. Have we abused it before? Many of us, most of us, all of us? Probably or yes, but they don't abuse it on a regular basis. You never keep the one that changed your life at arm's length. You never change the one that completely transformed everything within you that took all of that brokenness that we're talking about. You don't, you don't keep that at a distance. It's an addiction in itself. You need more and more and more of it every single day. Bonhoeffer wrote about this in The Cost of Discipleship. This is great. In what he called cheap grace. All right, he, he called this concept cheap, cheap grace, this abuse of grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. But costly grace on the other side, because grace will cost you. Costly grace on the other side is the treasure hidden in the field for the sake of the man that will sell everything he has to get it. It's the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out his own eye if it offends him or causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciples leave their nets to follow him. This is what grace looks like. So what is grace? Are you ready? What is grace? A short and simple definition about grace? God's unmerited favor upon you. Something that we don't deserve, but that we are freely given in abundance. The gift of grace makes people fit for salvation miraculously taking separated strangers and calling them beloved sons and daughters. J.A. Jowett summarizes grace. Grace is God's holy love on the move. Barbara Brown Taylor suggests that grace isn't something that simply enters us. Grace is something that must flow out of us and it carries all self-interest with it. Grace becomes frustrating to us because we live in a world of achievement. We live in a world in which we like to check off our boxes and talk about our accomplishments. We live in a world where we believe the more that we're in church or the more Bible that we've read or the more good things that we've done are moving us closer and closer to God when that isn't necessarily true. Grace just is. So defining grace, I'll do my best. And keep in mind, I'm very wordy. I don't mean to be, but it's a bad habit I've worked on for about 20 years. This is what I would call grace. It's a consistent pouring out of God's love, consistent upon his creation that exists independent of the good or the bad that we do. 
We can't earn it through performance. That's really hard for me. We can't lose it through our indecency. Grace is a multidimensional gift that is experienced in a variety of ways that is a result of a broken person's unflinching need for Jesus, the Son of God. I'm going to read that one more time. Grace is a consistent pouring out of God's love upon his creation that exists independent of the good or the bad. You say, you don't know what I've done, Matt. Of the good or the bad that we do. We can't earn it through performance. We can't lose it through our indecency. Grace is a multidimensional gift that is experienced in a variety of ways that is a result of a broken person's unflinching need for Jesus, the Son of God. This path to grace has uh, three applicable truths, these building blocks and then these problems that we said that really hurts us to get to the, to get to the truth of the matter. There are three applicable truths today that will correct your misunderstandings and your problems with grace. And the first is this, understanding our condition as a sinner or as sinners is a prerequisite for understanding grace. So until you're in a place right now, and some of you in here right now, you feel gratitude and you feel thankfulness and you feel the holiness of God streaming through your body. And the reason for that is because you understand not only how broken you were, but how you continue to be broken in this world right now. But that grace is flowing through you and it's giving you that river of life that you need to live. There are others of you that are maybe in this room right now, maybe watching online, you're going to listen to the podcast later, and you're saying, I'm sorry, but I just don't relate to this concept of sin. Okay, yeah, I kind of mess up sometimes, but I'm really not that bad of a person. If you're in that situation, I completely respect your position, but you're nowhere close to understanding the grace of God. You're in another world if that's the way that you view yourself. So an understanding of our condition of sinners as seeing ourselves as incomplete at our very best has to be the place that we start. Number two, you must step, step out in active faith if you're going to experience active grace. But as Bonhoeffer was alluding to, if you want cheap or superficial faith, you can continue with cheap or superficial grace. So it's that willingness. And for some of you, maybe for the first time this morning, maybe for the first time in your life, you're in a position where you know something is going on within you. The Holy Spirit is dealing with you. You know that there can be freedom. You know that you can be completely removed from this sin factor, from all of these things that are going on in your life. And you're ready to pursue active faith for the first time to experience healing for the brokenness that you have. But then number three, grace cannot be abused. It cannot be abused if we've known the ransom of Christ. This is not something that you say, well, I don't really wear my religion on my sleeve, don't really talk about it very much. If you've experienced the ransom of Christ, you can't stop talking about it. 
It's not something that just kind of dies down when you're around different people. The love of Jesus, who you are in Christ, radiates from what you are. This is how we deal with this abuse. We experience the ransom of Christ. We, we understand that what we're celebrating at Easter and for Easter is what it's all about. With all heads bowed this morning and all eyes closed, I want to give a, a, a fresh opportunity. For those of you that may say, Matt, I, I've been in church for a long time or this church thing is, is kind of new to me. Maybe you're, you, you have very little experience with church and, and, and this laid out in this way is, is, is completely new. But if you're in here today and you say, I've never experienced that. I don't know God in that way. I know that I'm broken. I know that I can't do it on my own. I'm acknowledging that. I can at least acknowledge that. And I want to reach out. And what does this act of faith look like? You know what else Bonhoeffer says in the cost of discipleship? He said, Christ calls a man to come forward, bid his life and die. It means you're starting a new life. It means that there is nothing easy about it. But you can release the past. You can release the darkness. You can release the struggles. In no way does this make you a perfect person. It just makes you a saved person. It makes you a person that is beginning a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus. I'm gonna pray a very short prayer this morning. And if you feel led to follow me in this prayer, I do want to invite you to do so. If you have any questions about where you are with God, or if you know that following Him for the first time is a decision that you have to make today. If that's you, I want to invite you to just pray this prayer silently with me as I pray it. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I am broken without you. Forgive me of my sins. I'm choosing this day to trust in your grace, to trust in you fully and completely. And from this day forward, it is my desire to follow you. Again, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you simply lift your hand so we can acknowledge that that decision was made? Anyone in here this morning that prayed that prayer for the first time? Father, we come to you today again, humbled and broken thanking you for your goodness, God, the grace that continues to extend and reach into our dark, darkest and most vulnerable places, for knowing us better than we know ourselves, knowing what we need at all times. God, knowing that this story of grace, the goodness of this grace is something that we want to, as we, as we launch into our community groups, God, as we, as we do work in the community, 
Father, as we focus on the direction that you are sending us, that we know we are only empowered by the grace that you give us. God, help us to consider any of our personal, our uh, talents or abilities to be completely null, knowing, Father, that the power comes from you and from the death and resurrection of your Son. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.